This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Control of America's Senate was left on a knife edge after Tuesday's midterm elections, with 48 of 100 seats currently held by each party. Georgia's election is now going to a runoff next month, rematching Raphael Warnock against Herschel Walker. The Democrats need to win two of the three competitive seats yet to be called, the others being Arizona and Nevada, to keep their majority. The House of Representatives is far more likely to flip to the Republicans, but the red wave they anticipated did not materialize. Meanwhile, Joe Biden reiterated his desire to run for president again in 2024 saying he will make a final decision early next year. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky expressed scepticism about an announcement by Russia's defence minister that Russia would withdraw troops from the occupied city of Kherson. Mr Zelensky said that Ukrainian forces would be moving carefully in response. A high-level Ukrainian official said he saw no signs that Russia is leaving Kherson without a fight. Meanwhile, America's top general estimated that Russia has suffered more than 100,000 casualties since invading Ukraine. President Vladimir Putin will not attend the G20 summit in Bali next week, Russian officials confirmed. Western leaders and Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, had threatened to boycott the event if Mr Putin took part. But Joko Widodo, the summit's host as Indonesia's president, resisted pressure to withdraw an invitation. Joe Biden and Xi Jinping are expected to meet in person at the G20 for the first time as presidents of America and China. Crypto prices crashed after Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, withdrew from talks to buy out FTX, the second largest. Binance said a liquidity crunch at FTX was beyond our control or ability to help and abruptly withdrew a tentative purchase offer, which destroyed what confidence its rival had retained. The Wall Street Journal reported that FTX needed to cover $8 billion in withdrawal requests. The S&P 500 was shaken, shedding 2.1%. At COP27 in Egypt, a group of 85 African insurance companies promised to create a $14 billion facility to help vulnerable communities pay for damage from climate-driven disasters, such as droughts and floods. And more than 50 African businesses, representing a combined $200 billion in annual revenue, pledged to drastically increase their renewable energy use. Meanwhile, several demonstrations took place around the conference, mostly calling for better climate finance for poor countries. A consortium led by Brookfield, a Canadian private equity firm, presented a bid for Origin Energy, an Australian utility, worth 20 billion Australian dollars, equivalent to 12.8 billion US dollars. The buyers hope to make Origin the country's biggest provider of renewable energy. Origin's share price leapt by more than a third. If regulators approved the buyout, it will have sold at a premium of more than 50%. Israeli archaeologists deciphered what might be the oldest written sentence. May this tusk root out the lice of the hair and the beard. It was scratched onto an ivory comb that was unearthed six years ago. The words were only recently noticed. This ancient wisdom was engraved in the Canaanite script, the first known alphabet, which dates from 2100 to 1500 BC. And fact of the day. 
$770 million. The value of the human hair exported by India last year, twice as much as in 2020. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Republican Party after the midterms. As votes in America's midterms continued to be counted, the Republicans looked likely to narrowly win the House of Representatives. Control of the Senate may not be known for weeks. The results were closer than expected, but few portents stand out. A Republican-controlled House will do little legislating and hold more made-for-television hearings. Unless Democrats raise the debt ceiling in the lame-duck session, Republicans may try to hold America's credit rating and the global economy hostage to force spending concessions, and a narrow Republican majority would give the party's far-right flank relatively greater power, meaning headaches for Kevin McCarthy, the presumptive speaker. Yet Republicans have made to temper their anti-abortion rhetoric after voters chose to protect reproductive rights and expect a competitive Republican presidential primary in 2024. It was a bad night for Donald Trump. Some of the more prominent candidates he endorsed fared badly. But it was a good night for his most prominent rival, Ron DeSantis, who was re-elected as governor of Florida by a far larger margin than predicted. What the American Midterms Mean for Business Corporate America likes gridlock. So, although the Republican Party did worse than expected in the midterms, assuming they take the House, business executives will not be moping. Divided government means no new corporation taxes or windfall levies from the Biden administration. It also means less public spending. That may help limit the rise in inflation, which data out on Thursday will probably show remained high, at about 8% annually in October. Thankfully for some industries, big spending bills on infrastructure, semiconductors, and climate have already become law, meaning there is still plenty of money to feast upon. America, Inc. will not be spared from heavy-handed government, though. The GOP will lack the strength in Congress to thwart the White House's efforts to push regulation to the left. And while Washington, D.C., is in legislative paralysis, state governments will flex their muscles. These are increasingly ideological strongholds and growing bossier towards business. Red states attack corporate wokeness, while blue states demand environmental purity. There are big chasms for the private sector to straddle. The IMF's Loan to Bangladesh Bangladesh's government is breathing a sigh of relief after officials from the IMF provisionally agreed, on Wednesday, to provide it with $4.5 billion in loans. At 1% of GDP, the promised amount is small but necessary. With the global economy stuttering, Bangladesh's will too. Unlike Sri Lanka and Pakistan, both of which secured IMF money this year, economic calamity does not loom in Bangladesh. Over the past decade, the country has been one of the world's fastest growing. Its foreign debt is low and policies are prudent. But increasing energy and food prices, 
and the slowdown in the West, where Bangladesh's exported clothes are sold, are starting to bite. Remittances from 8 million overseas workers are slowing, too. For Sheikh Hasina, the Prime Minister, who faces an election next year, the priority is food security for 169 million people. In return for its cash, the IMF will push for a floating exchange rate and the scrapping of interest rate controls. Britain's Winter of Discontent On Thursday, many commuters in London will once again struggle to get to work. Staff from London Underground, which runs the tube network, plan to strike over pay and conditions. And around Britain, more industrial action is coming. On Wednesday, the Royal College of Nursing announced that its 300,000 members had voted for the union's first-ever national strike. Staff at 150 universities will walk out at the end of November. Teachers, midwives, and ambulance workers are all mulling similar measures. Some rail strikes were suspended this week, but if unions' negotiations with bosses fail, they could come back. Unions' chief demand is for pay rises to reflect inflation, which reached a 40-year high of 10% in September. The government, scrambling to patch up its finances, seems unlikely to comply with such demands. Britain is braced for a season of disruption. A Billion-Dollar Art Auction Founding Microsoft with Bill Gates in 1975 made Paul Allen a billionaire many times over. Much of this fortune was spent on environmental, scientific, and philanthropic endeavors. Some of it paid for yachts and sumptuous villas. And Allen, who died in 2018, also accumulated a particularly fine art collection. Mixing contemporary works with 19th-century masterpieces, among the treasures are a pointillist painting by Georges Seurat, a landscape of Mont Saint-Victorie by Paul Cézanne, a self-portrait by Francis Bacon, and one of J. M. W. Turner's finest vistas of the Redentor Church in Venice. Allen's rationale for collecting was admiration rather than investment. You have to be doing it because you just love the works, he insisted. Nevertheless, on Wednesday and Thursday, when 195 pieces of his collection go up for sale, they are expected to make over $1 billion. That would make the sale at Christie's in New York the biggest single-owner art auction ever, and there is more than $500 million worth still in the vaults. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which rock star appeared with the word slave written on his face in protest at his recording contract? Wednesday. Which boxer won the 1960 Olympic light heavyweight title in Rome 
but was then refused service in a Kentucky restaurant when he returned to America. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Arthur Rimbaud, who died on this day in 1891. Genius is the recovery of childhood at will. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.